Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, when you first become a parent, we know there's a shitload to learn. And you never really figure it all out. But how do you reckon you'd react if you found your child had stopped breathing? And I've been through that process. Would you know what to do? Today, my guest is Theo Malice. He is the founder of Rescue Blue. Now, Rescue Blue is a business specialized in teaching parents how to provide first aid to their babies and their infants. Theo Malice, by profession, is an intensive care paramedic. In his job as an intensive care paramedic, after attending a heartbreaking job around eight years ago, you're going to hear about that in a moment, it was then that Theo realized he could apply his expertise on a much larger scale, and he and his wife, Chanel, decided to set up their first aid course business called Rescue Blue. Each pediatric first aid trainer is a registered current paramedic. In other words, you are learning from the best. And these guys are now operating across all Australian states and the territories. They're working really hard to save lives across this great country of ours. I just need to know, Really, what's at the guts of why he's doing this? Why is he rolling out these licensees across Australia to teach parents and family members how to look after and how and what to expect? And what is at the heart of this? What, is it just a care thing, like he's concerned, or is it a money-making thing? What is it? And by the way, how do you go about recruiting people in your business that are actually going to feel the same way you feel and roll it out and execute the way you want it to be executed? So, let's get into it. Theo Mellis, welcome to The Mentor, mate. G'day, Mark. Thank you for having me on. Now, I, I mean, I, I will declare that uh, I have had some interaction with Theo, um, and uh, Theo's a good Greek fellow from around the area. Um, he's in the uh, hood. Um, and uh, I actually, by the way, I didn't realise this, but Theo told me that uh, it's his family on one side of the family, at least, who are running the fish and chip shop that I've been going to for like about 40 years up there in Vaucluse. Yep. That's right. That's correct, yeah. Good Greek family running yeah. fish and chip shops. Yeah, totally. So anyway, let's just get on the topic. So, uh, so you're not that old. You're a rel- in relative terms. You're a young fella um, and you've got a new business. We'll talk about the business in a moment. But I guess I would like to talk a little bit about um, Theo Malice growing up, you know, because I want to work out what the influences were in your life that got you to go into business but at the same time, you know, you're an Ambo, you work for the ambulance. Yeah, that's So, right. like, you you got, like, a steady job too. So, take me through that. Like, as a kid, like, 
So, what did you see? It, it's a really good question. Um, so, Mark, I grew up with my granddad who was sick. He, was, he had Alzheimer's and we, we looked after him. And I remember one day he got really sick. He got extremely ill. And my mum and dad and my sister, we looked at him. We, we didn't know what to do, so we called triple zero. We got the Ambos there and they came and they took a very horrible situation and made it calm and they made, made it good, as, as weird as that sounds. And I remember being a child looking at, at the Ambos, those paramedics, carrying my, my granddad down the stairs and I thought, what a great job. So from that moment, that's when I decided to become a paramedic. Really? Yeah. You, yeah you, I was about 13 young, years old. Yeah, wow. I went, that's a good job. They're helping people. They've made a bad day for me relatively good. And, um, and yeah, I thought, you know what, I'm going to become a paramedic. Wow. From there, that's where the business grew from. I've been a paramedic for the last 13 years. Um, I'm an intensive care paramedic. I've worked predominantly around Sydney. And about eight years ago, I went to a job where a five-year-old girl had a poor outcome. She, she died. She passed away because basic first aid wasn't done right. And at that incident, when we realised there's nothing we can do for the child, for the patient, we turn our attention to the parents. And I had the job of dealing with mum. Now, all that mother could say in this horrible situation was, I just did first aid. I just did first aid. She said that for three hours, Mark. She said it on scene. She said it during transport. And she said it up at the hospital to the hospital staff, the support staff that was up there. I, I know all the hospital staff have been doing the job long enough. And I asked one of the nurses to find out which course uh, she had done, which this, this nurse did. And then I went and did the course that she did. Now, I didn't tell them that I was an intensive care paramedic when I did the course. I told them that I was a barista, not that I can make coffee to save my life, but that was my cover story. And uh, what I learned was in Australia to teach first aid, you need a current first aid certificate, a Cert 4 in training and assessment, and you need to find an RTO that will take you on. RTO being a? A registered training organisation. Now, don't get me wrong, Mark, I'm not having a crack at any other businesses. I think the more businesses out there teaching first aid is a great thing, but like anything, you want to be taught by people who practice what they preach. Now, I went and did this course and I, I saw how it was taught. I saw that it was taught by someone who had never treated a patient and I realised that everyone in that course left feeling anxious. And I thought to myself, you know what, this is, this is easy for a paramedic to teach. This is extremely easy. So we started the business that way. Um, we started off with the We providers. being? So me and my wife, yep. Chanel. Uh, we made the decision we're only going to ever employ current operational paramedics, not a paramedic that retired 20 years ago, not a nurse that used to work in a hospital and now is working somewhere else, and current operational paramedics, people who practice what they preach every day. They bring this experience into the classroom or into the home because we train at homes and teach, um, teach the, the clients, the, our, our customers, the easiest way to do first aid, and as weird as it sounds, we try to make it fun. I'm going to get. I, I'm actually a bit intrigued, to be honest with you, there with uh, the experience you had when you were 13. Seeing your papu, uh, did he pass away or did he make it? No, he made it. Made it. Great. I put that down to the paramedics. Right. So, and as a young kid, you were obviously extraordinarily impressed by this. This had an impression on your mind. Then when you became a paramedic, what, 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 like, what's the process to become a paramedic? So, so yeah. you do some like classroom time, of course, yeah, yeah. to get you up to scratch, and then you're out for a year. Um, on the tools. 
on the tools. Yeah, going to the accidents, doing the basics. You've got a mentor who's qualified, who's going to run you through. Everything. How old were you? I was 20, 22, I think. 22, would, you, would you consider yourself being, um, at that time, a, sort of a worldly guy or oh, know, like just I a think kid growing up in the then, East? I'd say yes, but now, now knowing what I know, absolutely not. Because I'm just curious as to know the first time you turn up a job and you saw someone's arm hanging off. I mean, what's, what's your memory of the most you know, horrific thing that you saw when you first started? Like what, yeah. what got you? You know, everyone, th- everyone thinks that. They go, paramedics, oh, you must see some horrific stuff. You must, you must see the arms hanging off and the legs hanging off and the guts and the blood and blah, blah, blah. But you don't join a job like this to thinking that you're not going to see that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So when you do see that, you, you're relatively you're okay for it. The biggest um, eye-opener for me was how, how some people live. And what, what I mean by that is people with mental health people who aren't as fortunate as I was growing up or as the people that I grew up with, my friends, my mates, how they live. Um, dealing with people in – I was stationed at Redfern when I first started and we will go into to the block and dealing with people from lower social economic areas um, that have they, – they struggle. They struggle every single day and the help is there for them sometimes. Sometimes it's hard for them to access because they have mental health issues because they – come from a family where their parents may not, as bad as it sounds, care that much for them because their parents are focused on getting their next hit because they might be addicts or, or whatnot. And for me, that really, really opened my eyes to how lucky I was growing up and, and how lucky most people in Australia are. But there is a minority out there that, that aren't that lucky. Because, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like. But, like, I remember once uh, one of my sons uh, was uh, – unfortunately, in a fight in Bondi and, uh, at, at Bondi Hotel. And uh, I got a call from uh, – I can't remember who it was now. I think it was the police. But um, they said it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. He was, I don't know, 20 or something, 20 years of age. And, uh, and I flew out to Bondi there and I was in Campbell Parade and there he was. The whole road was closed off and there he was laying on the ground, mm-hmm. bleeding from the back of the head and uh, sort of – and a few whacks on the face, and it was sort of unconscious, and the ambos there, and they're treating him. And, and maybe it was some of them, and it was four o'clock in the morning. I got a bit of a shock, like, uh, shit. And I thought to myself, they end up in hospital. He's okay, obviously. But, um, but still, I thought to myself at the time, bloody hell, I mean, I don't know what it'd be like having to do this job all the time, um, seeing this sort of stuff. I mean, how is it you can become um, maybe impervious to uh, that, that sort of catastrophes sort of stuff, not just the mental health. The mental health would get to you over a long time for sure. And the, and the difference in socioeconomics, you know, the, the, the disadvantage that some people suffer, that would definitely get to you. But that short, sharp shock when you see someone like, particularly if it's a child, um, do you, how do they teach you to deal with that shit? Or are you just, or are they, have they sussed you out such that you're the sort of person who can deal with it instinctively? Um, no, I think, in years gone past, they didn't teach, right? So if you look at the history, um, there's been a lot of mental health issues with paramedics who've been doing the job for a long time because there wasn't much support. Now they they do have initiatives out there um, to try to support and they have, if you go to the, the horrible job, and, and for us as paramedics, the worst of the worst is kids. Yeah. If you have to go to the kid that doesn't make it, that that's as bad as it gets for us. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of support, but... Talk to any paramedic that's done the job long enough and they'll say, yeah, the support's good. It's good that, they've, that the, they've got these initiatives. 
But the best support we have is our colleagues, is the people that were there on the job with you to be able to talk to those people. Um, the cops say that too, by the way, because yeah, the cops absolutely. see the same horrific stuff. Mate, the cop, Every time I, you turn up, they're, they're, they're already probably there before you, perhaps. You know, yeah. people say to me, Theo, I couldn't do your job for quids. I look at cops and say, I couldn't do your job for yeah, quids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a really, really difficult job. At least when we get there, nine out of ten times people are happy to see us. With the cops, nine out of ten times, they're not happy to see the cops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting abused and yelled at. And, and they can't do anything either. They can't actually go and solve the problem if someone's laying on the ground for a start. Of course, because they, I mean, they might try, but they're not qualified like you exactly. guys. They don't yeah, have all the quite equipment. Quite often, there's a lot more cops than there are paramedics. So quite often, the cops are getting there first, and they're they're dealing with these really sick patients for you know however long it takes us to get there. And it, hopefully, it's not too long, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a while, and you've got a really sick patient. And as you say, they've they've got basic training, but they can't do advanced medical. Well, they don't have the equipment either. Exactly. I mean, like it's pretty hectic the job. Um, to be honest with you, like it is pretty hectic. I mean, you're never going to go and see someone who's just hanging out, having a good time. Um, you're always going to be seeing someone who's got a problem. There's an issue. I mean, they, people call you because there's a problem. Sure, yeah. I so, mean, uh, but where, where's the upside? I mean, apart from your feeling of uh, you know, satisfaction being able to help people, is there uh, like an upside like where you sort of get a bunch of flowers or someone buys you a bottle of whiskey or I don't know? Where's the upside? <laughs> yeah, look, so not – it's not all doom and gloom and people always think it is, oh, you're a paramedic, you must just go to bad things. We go to good things. The other day, so I delivered a baby. Are you that's serious? Thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, that's as good as it gets. You had a woman about to have a kid? A woman about, oh, it was a good one though, Mark. She was, uh, <laughs> she was in a room and she'd- she At home? At home, yeah, and baby had come and she was in all fours and she got there and it was coming out and she just, as soon as it came out, you know what the first thing she did? Sparked up a cigarette. She goes, they are waiting for have a nine months to have a cigarette. <laughs> the first thing she did, sparked up a ciggy. I was still making sure Bub's okay. And she what do you do with that? You're in that situation where the baby comes out as attached to the umbilical cord. Do you have to cut the cord and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So in that case, I'll let dad cut the cord. Um, but yeah, oh, the, dad, the, the kid's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I got yeah. him across, made sure Bub was okay. Yeah. Ideally, in that situation, we want to keep the cord attached for as long as possible because there's lots of nutrients coming from – Mother. Through that cord yep. from mum, yeah. Um, but once it stops pulsating, so mum's it stops beating, we, we cut it. So, yeah, we cut that and, and dad got to cut that. And do you, do you give the baby a slap on the bum to make sure it like <laughs> yeah. coughs up whatever it's got in its guts? Yeah, so that's called tactile stimulation. Um, they used to do that. They used to hang it upside down. Yeah, yeah. Bang, well, that's my image it. of it. But I have four kids, but I don't remember any of them. But yeah. I, I, one of them was in Singapore, yeah. so I obviously won't remember him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we, we don't do that. We no. don't slap them on the bum, but we give them a good rub yeah. with a towel and that, that stimulates them enough. They start crying and, you know, I know we'll get into it in, in paediatric first aid, which is what our business is all about. One of the number one rules is a crying baby is a good baby, which is a weird, weird concept because usually you- Not once you get them home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, mate, don't get me started. My little boy was up at four. Um, usually a crying baby is associated with, oh, the baby's hurt or they're hungry or they're tired or they need a, a, a nappy change. But in paediatric first aid, a crying baby, their airway's clear. They're breathing well. They've got good circulation. If your kid's crying, you can take a big breath, relax, and go, all right, now what? That's, that's a good tip. That's a real good tip. Like crying babies are, is okay. Like most people associate – well, I always associate when, when my kids were babies with uh, the kids in distress. 
um, and that that I, that I well no no not, the kid might have had a bit of distress might have had a wind or something but I I became distressed so the sound of the crying made me distressed yeah um, because I mean I I guess instinctively we're wired that if you hear a, a baby crying that you've got to attend to it because okay. there's something wrong correct if a baby's crying it's okay. At least the he's alive. He can he can he can breathe and first aid, yeah. They're crying. That's he's obviously got some issue you got to yeah. deal with. Yeah, that's right. But, but he's but he's not, not crying. Yeah, no. it's when they're silent. Right. It's when we're trying to wake <clears> him up and we can't wake him up. Right. That we need to think. Hang on, what's going on here? You know, why is this kid not crying after falling down the stairs and banging their head? Right. They should be. But hang on, they're not crying. Maybe they're unconscious. Are they going to vomit? Are they in the right position if they vomit? All these things start to come up as soon as we realise that child's not crying. So. In first aid, interesting. crying is good. Yeah, uh, very, very interesting. You've experienced and seen everything in an emergency sense. And if you were looking at the concept of first aid, we, you know, you've explained to us how you, you know, why you decided to get into first aid. But if you look at the concept of first aid, what is the objective? What, what's, can you, are you able to summarise the objective of first aid that, I might need to do whilst pending and whilst I'm waiting for the ambulance to arrive or whatever. What's the what is the objective I mean, of first aid? Is it okay, so you're trying to render assistance to someone and keep them alive until definitive medical care can arrive at that scene. So, very, first aid's basic, and I think that's the number one rule in our business. Is there are some concepts that might be perceived to be Difficult, we need to simplify because the people who are learning, we deal predominantly with parents, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But our first aid courses, it's aimed at new parents. We're we're dealing with paediatric first aid. We don't expect a parent to be able to do advanced medical skills. We need them to do basic skills, things like making sure their airway is clear, making sure the the child's breathing, um, making sure if they're not breathing that they are doing CPR and doing it effectively because – that gives us as paramedics something to work with once we get there. If we get there and there's good CPR happening to a child that's not that's unconscious and not breathing, then we have a chance to save their life. If we get there and the child's lying on the ground, unconscious, not breathing, everyone's standing around because everyone's too scared to do anything. Someone did a course once that said the compression to respiration ratio was 15 to 2 and someone else said did one that said it was 30 to 2. Someone else did one that was 5 to 1, let's say. And they're all arguing over it and everyone's too scared to do anything. From our end, it's hard. The child's been lying on the ground without CPR for 10, 15 minutes. So how long, I mean, in terms of paediatric um, first aid, I mean, how long is a kid, can a child last before they can um, get CPR? Yeah, it's an open-ended question, that one, because there's a lot to take into consideration. But for every minute, and regardless of them being kids or adults, for every minute that your brain doesn't have oxygen, you're losing approximately 10% of its capability of its function. And if you ask me, I don't want to lose 10% of my brain function, no. let alone 20, 30 or 40 or 50%. That's for every minute. For every minute. But there is also oxygen reserve. So, for example, if I said to you, hold your breath, you'd hold your breath for X amount of time before you need to breathe and then there's a little bit more time before your brain starts to die. But eventually, if your brain isn't getting that oxygen, as soon as you get to that point where it's not being oxygenated, as a general rule, every minute, 10% of that brain will die. So you look at these patients that we go to that have had what's known as a hypoxic brain injury. So they've had a bit of their brain function 
Um, they've lost a lot of their brain function because they've been hypoxic, which means their brain hasn't had enough oxygen. And yeah, they they stutter when they talk or they don't walk quite right or they can't um, articulate themselves well. And it's extremely sad when you look into those cases and see what the cause of it was. Are you a, uh, are you a natural, I mean, you've said it a few times, but are you like, a natural carer, like I mean, as a kid, were you like that? I mean, did you, apart from seeing what you saw with you, saw with your grandfather when you were thirteen, um, were you always caring about people? I think um, most paramedics are. I think anyone, not, and it's not just paramedics; it's your nurses, it's your doctors. And you, would you say you are? Yeah, I, I don't. No one likes to talk themselves up like that, and I feel awkward saying that. But if I was to look at my, my traits, absolutely, yeah. yeah. In terms of your new business, your your first aid business, how important is it for the people that you teach in the course to have that same sense, ability, that same, or are they people coming to you that just want to be, uh, be able to say they did it and they have the certificate or who are the people coming to you that want to do this course? Sure. So there's first aid businesses and we are a first aid business. We teach all the accredited courses. Uh, we do all of those ones that, for the people that need it for work or for their industry, they might need a first aid certificate yep. to go and, and, and get a job. And then there's pediatric first aid and that's yeah. where we – That's your thing. That's where we focus. So we do everything. We do oh, – You do all yeah, – no, your first aid courses. Yep. But your main focus is pediatric first aid. Pediatric first aid. Which is so kids. That, yeah, sorry. So kids first aid, baby first aid in, in particular. And we're, we're trying to find and, – and our clients are new parents. Right. Because – New parents are scared and they're frightened. Well, mate, I'm, I'm my first kid. Well, you know what? I'll tell you something funny, Thea. You're right because I just, you just made me think about it. When I first had my first son, who's you know, going to be 40 this year, um, he uh, um, uh, caught death. Just, SIDS. SIDS just yeah. became a thing. Sudi, yep. Everyone just started talking about it like no one had ever never heard of it before. Mm. And then a little uh, boy – like a baby, in the unicomplex I was living, and I knew the people not very well, but I knew them died from SIDS. Yeah. Now my boy uh, had only just was only just born, and he was at home after you know, after a couple of days of his mum being in hospital and him after the birth. And I was actually like beside myself every night, worrying about is is there going to be a SIDS episode? Not? And they, in those days, it was confusing. They they used to say in the beginning for the first period, they were saying don't put him on the back. Because they might vomit and swallow the vomit or something, and then because they didn't really know, cause then they said, "Don't put them on the side, don't put them in their stomach." I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, and what I was doing, you know, I was doing every night. Uh, this is no bullshit. I was going in there and I would wake him up, yep, just to see if he was awake, like he was alive, because he they sleep so quietly, no noise. And I would go in there and I would yeah, yeah. prod him. So, Mark, um, what you did tells me you're a good parent, and every parent out there is doing that, and we we refer. It's the beginning stages, and rightly so, of postpartum anxiety, which is a big thing that we try to deal with, which is if you think about it, so your first, your, your boy, was that Dane? Is Dane, that yeah, Dane? yeah. Yeah, cool. So when you had Dane you in the hospital, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's midwives, there's- um, I wish you could have stayed there. Pedi- with with his mum for another couple of weeks, for a month or something. Patient consultants, there's so, so much support in these hospitals. And then all of a sudden- they hand you your baby. Yeah, see you later. They go, 
see you later. Yeah. And you're at home and you're sitting there going, oh, my God. Oh, what what the do? fuck? I mean, yeah. I, I'm thinking, well, I don't know what to do. Am I qualified for this? You know, I felt that with my kid. And I teach paediatric first aid. I remember coming home and I was like, I feel underqualified. I, if I'm feeling this and I teach paediatric first aid and I'm an intensive care paramedic and I've done that job for 13 years, how's everyone else feel about it? And that, that's what we talk about, postpartum anxiety. Where people, well, post what we call postpartum. it? Postpartum. So after, after, after you part, leave the joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, anxiety and people get so anxious and it can be debilitating. It can be. Well, I, I did get anxious about it. I have to tell you, I was sort of very anxious. Not, you know, I did something about it. I got up every night and wake him up, which is probably I shouldn't have done it. But like still I was, I was concerned. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's why we, we created this course. We want to try to take away that anxiety. Do you cover things like SIDS? Like, yeah, like, so we go through, so it's called SUDI now, but. Um, we go through all of that stuff. We go right. through basic life support. We talk about sl- safe sleeping. We talk about introducing solids and choking and all of those big things. And it's, I suppose what I'm getting at is it's more than first aid. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we go through the first aid and that's the, the most it's important It's what to do thing. when you get home. It's thinking about those parents and thinking about putting yourself in those positions and thinking about postpartum anxiety, um, postnatal depression and all these things and how can we help them? How can we help these parents, because did you know in Australia, 5% of all men will have postnatal depression. 16% of all females within the first year are going to have, are going to have um, postnatal depression. Postpartum anxiety, that feeling that we're talking about, if we can take that feeling away from them and we can empower them by giving them the skills to deal with a life-threatening emergency, the, as bad as it gets, the worst thing that could happen is you're kids stops breathing, if we give you the skills to, to, to deal with that, then we've achieved our goal and we actually take away that, that anxiety from the parents. And we've, we've been doing this business for eight years now. We've got plenty of good stories. Um, you know, I got one actually about two months ago. It was a choking. A lady, was, uh, she did our course three months earlier before she started introducing solids to her kid. She was at home. She was feeding a child grapes. She chopped them up like we told her to into quarters and she was feeding the child. Her other kid came in and started being naughty. So she turned around to the other kid and started telling the other kid off um, and was kind of ended up in an argument with a five-year-old. Meanwhile, she went eyes off her child and the baby picked up a big grape, popped it into their mouth and started to choke. Choking can be silent. The reason you can hear me talking to you now is air is going past my vocal cords. If I stop that air, the patient, I'd go silent. So she didn't realise. She continued to, to tell off her other kid and she turned around and found her baby blue in the face, still conscious but only just. She pulled out her child, did the back blows that we teach, got to the third back blow, grape came out, baby started crying. She called the ambulance, went up to the hospital and the hospital staff said to her, if you didn't do those back blows and you didn't get that grape out, that child would have had a poor outcome more than likely would have died. Um, so we've had heaps of stories like that where our first aid that we teach. And she, made, was, she was the person you taught. Yeah, she yeah. got in contact with us. Afterwards, <laughs> she sent us an email saying, thank you for teaching us. And, you know, at the time, the way that you taught me, it was fun and interactive. And when I needed it, I, re- I reacted. And she put it down to the training and the way in which we train. Now, we, we've had plenty of stories like that, but we got one about a month ago, going back to the postpartum anxiety, and she, she came back to us about that and she said, Theo, I felt so anxious 
about having a child and being at home with a child. I felt like I was a fraud, so um, imposter syndrome, if you've ever heard of that. Yep. Where, yep, so she, felt she had imposter syndrome thinking, why, how am I supposed to look after this child? And she did our course and she actually wrote to us and said, Theo, or she said, Rescue Blue Team, um, you're, you've taken that anxiety away from us by giving me the skills to deal with the worst case scenario. And for me, that's what it's about. That, that's why we do it. We do it because, yes, it's a, a It's more than first aid then. It's more than first aid. It's, it's much more than that. Look, by the way, those two case studies are a really good way for us to go to the break and I want to come back after the break. But I, gotta, I, I want to share with you a similar story that I experienced with one of my kids. It was Dane again. It's funny, your first one, you everything sort of happens and after that, second, third and fourth, like, you know, it's like, oh, well, I've been down that track. I know what to do. But we'll go to the break and we'll come straight back and we'll, I want to continue on this conversation because I, I, I think what's important here is that you undersell yourself when you, you know, when you talk about it being first aid. It's more, it's nearly like a, a how-to instruction manual from the moment a parent leaves the hospital and takes control of their kid. Yeah, and uh, and anything that can happen from thereafter. Spot on, and I'm glad that, that I was able to articulate that because it's one of the hardest things for us to articulate. Is yeah, we teach first aid, yeah. and we 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 do it well, but it's more than first aid. Yeah. It's much much more, and and the feedback that we get, and the reason that we're growing, and the reason that we're we're going relatively well, is because of that. Is because parents come in expecting to learn first aid, they come out feeling empowered in first aid, but so much more. You're just confident. We'll go to the break. We'll come straight back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Back with Theo Malos, and we we're talking about his courses, and we, you know, sometimes openly or maybe um, uh, a bit naively, from my point of view, um, referring to them as first aid courses for families with kids or pediatric first aid. It's a hard one to put a word to. Um, like it's it's a hard one to actually put a three four words to to describe what you do. But to me, you use the word empower. I think empower is a, a really good word. To, in other words, parents at least feel a little bit more confident that if they're confronted with an issue, they've at least been trained as to how to deal with the issue. Um, probably to me also, I think it's about helping parents from the day they arrive home 
postpartum, as you call, but the day they arrive home, they get out of the hospital, um, teaching them what to expect, to, what they could expect, what could happen. It's not just about saying, well, if this happens, then that. It's about saying these are the things that could happen, you know, and then you, you cover off all the things that, that can happen to a, a parent. That in itself is pretty valuable because, like as I said earlier, I, I, I didn't know what SIDS was or whatever you call it now, SUDS or something. SUDI, yep. SUDI. Um, I, I didn't know what I expected. I only just happened to hear about it on the radio and saw something on television and then it happened in the block I was living in and then it became real. I mean, I you then mentioned, you did, you just gave us two examples of case studies about the lady putting the grape, the child taking the grape when the mum took her eye off the baby and attending to the five-year-old. By the way, that sort of stuff happens all the time. I remember when, again, it's Dane, but I remember him in the cot and um, so he was might have been, he was sort of just he might have been one or something at that stage. He was in a cot, wasn't in a bassinet anymore. And uh, somehow, I don't know how the hell it happened, and I don't even know how I noticed, but he swallowed a twenty cent piece or a ten cent piece or something like that. Could only have got it from me. It was in his cot, so it must have dropped out of my pocket or something. I don't know how the hell he got his hands on it. And um, his mother called out to me and I went into – I was in the shower and I ran, ran from the shower and to have a look. She was like beside herself. And um, he was choking and he was turning blue and it, and it was like the most scary thing I've ever seen. Like so no one ever told me what to expect. Like no one had ever said to expect this sort of thing, nor did I expect it, me to drop money there or I don't know how he got his hands on the dough. I actually never did a course but I actually hung him upside down. And because uh, I thought oh, I've got to get it from here down there, so I hung him upside down, and I gave him a whack in the back. Beautiful. So I didn't know, but it was just instinct, and 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 the bloody thing dropped out onto the floor. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I was so relieved. I, I I nearly died. Yeah, yeah. So what you did there is used common sense, and first aid is common sense. If you come and do one of the courses, you'll see that everything we do, we actually put it back on on the students. We say, what do you think? What do you think before we teach it? And nine out of 10 times, someone puts their hand up and goes, oh, I think this, I think we should get them in the heads down, bums up position, which is what you've done because gravity would get. Yeah, yeah. It's common sense. And I think. But I don't remember thinking about it. Funny, I didn't think about it in a common sense way. I just, I just did it. I I, I don't think I'd ever seen anything on television. I mean, there's no Google on those days. So I, I, yeah, I just did. I don't know why. And I thought if I whack him in the back, it might come out. But I did, I, I do remember going through my mind, I had heard of this thing called the Heinrich move, right, where you get Heinrich under maneuver. whatever yeah. you call it, then get under their chest. Yeah. And I, but I didn't do it. Um, I did know about it. I mean, I had I had been in the surf club, but I don't think they taught me that sort of stuff in the surf club. I can't remember now. But uh, probably it, would, it wouldn't have worked if I – But you saved your own child's life. Well, I remember. I'm, I'm fairly happy. I'm going to have to remind him about this after this <laughs> podcast. But, um, but I'd imagine the Heinrich – thing wouldn't have worked anyway would is, is that yeah so it's a bit of a controversial topic topic excuse me um for us at rescue blue we follow the ann school guidelines which is the australian new, new zealand council uh, committee sorry on resuscitation and that incorporates the arc the australian resuscitation council and the new zealand resuscitation council and we're teaching back blows and chest thrusts for, for choking but in years gone past they used to teach the Heimlich manoeuvre. Yeah, but it's a bit hard to do that to a baby, isn't it? And oh, yeah, yeah, cause a lot of damage. If yeah, well, you, you break all the ribs, I'd imagine. Yeah, and you think about things like spleens and livers. Oh, yeah, it's all yeah. around that area. Exactly. So, so, I mean, I guess that the, the thing is, you just got to push some air into the, the sort of push. It pushes. Yeah, we're out. trying to dislodge. Um, we're trying to dislodge the blockage. Yeah, yeah, the obstruction. And one of the the main things, and this comes from being, you know, as I said earlier, 
current operational paramedics, people who actually practice what they preach, will know, yeah, the guidelines say to put them in the put them on an angle, but it's all about the angle because we've done this and we realize that gravity, if you look at the anatomy of the airway, the best the best position is heads down, bums up. So when you do the course, we exaggerate that to make sure that we are using gravity and those back blows have the best chance that they can. Is it just it's like a, it's a cup of whack? Between the scapula, between the um, shoulder blades. Shoulder blades, thank you. And we, we hit down hard on a downward angle. But the, the trick with them is to remember to keep looking because to see if it comes out, what we see, and I've been to a couple of these jobs where mum's hit up, obstructions come out, she hasn't realised, so she continues to hit the baby. Brace for your ribs. Which is probably not what we want. We want to say if it comes out, stop, stop hitting the baby. So, I mean, I, I guess what you're trying to get the child into a situation with the parent's assistance that allows you then to come and take, you the paramedic, if they call the ambulance to come and take over. Correct, yeah. And we, we're trying to create muscle memory. So our courses, historically, first aid courses are death by PowerPoint. You sit there and someone's standing up there talking in a monotone voice about some topic that they used to do when they were a paramedic 35 years ago. and Worked in a surf club. and the Used to work, exactly. <laughs> we're not like that. We're hands-on, we're practical. Uh, we realise that, no one's ever going to look at their notes if something's happened to their child. You're never going to say, hang on, kid, let me go run upstairs and find my notes. Try and find the notes. That I did three years ago. You're not going to do that. You're going to get hands-on. You're going to get practical. For that reason, we encourage parents to bring their kids to our courses. So at our courses, we have – and we have two, two different types of courses. We have a public and a private course. Public courses are for individuals that don't have a group and they can come to one of our uh, Join venues. another group. Yep. We create the group. Or we have private courses, and that's probably 80% of our work is private courses. So one-on-one on one or one on a group? Oh, well, sorry, you on a group. Yeah, so, at so one home. trainer at someone's house, and they get maybe their mother's group or yeah, maybe yeah. their family together and will come in and we'll take over their living room for three hours. We'll, we'll make their living room look very different with all of our banners and kits and learning material. We plug into their telly, and we make it practical and hands-on. So we tell them to bring their kids along and we get – the baby and we show them the heads down, bums up position. This is how you're going to hold them. We don't actually get them to hit their, their baby. We use the mannequins for that. But if they ever need to do it, they've done it before. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. Just like Ian, you said to me the other day when we met that you were a boxer. Mm. Now, boxing, you spar. You spar a whole heap. You, it's all about training, going over the same jab, jab, hook, jab, jab, hook, whatever it is. Because when you're in the fight, that needs to come naturally to yep, you. Correct. Muscle memory. And it's the same in first aid. We're trying to create muscle memory. We're trying to make sure that if they need to do it, it comes naturally. They don't need to stand there thinking about it or think, oh, hang on, what, what, did, he, what did Theo tell me? Yeah. They just do it automatic. Exactly, because they've done it so, 10 times in our course. So does that mean then you have to, you and your team have to uh, set out a protocol of all the things that might go wrong and then build the, the, the ability for you to skill up the parents and or the family members um, around all those potential things that could go wrong. So do you like have a list like fall over, fall down the stairs, swallow a penny, um, sure. sit, whatever. But yeah. what, how do you do this? I mean, how yeah, do you so make it a complete and accurate? We have a course that's set out that covers all of the main things that, that – Like what do you – how did you work that out though? I mean like – So actually I'm glad you asked that. That has come from two things. It comes – we base it off the ANSCOR guidelines, as I said before, so yeah. what you're learning is up to date. It's the most – appropriate thing to be to be taught uh, but what 
the, which skills we decided to put into this three-hour course came from experience from the paramedics. We sat down, so we've got a whole heap of trainers now and the, the course does change. And we speak to our trainers and we say, what have you been going to when it comes to paediatrics? Who are current paramedics? Well, current paramedics. So they will have everyone answer those questions. Theo, we went to a febrile convulsion. You know, and someone else goes, yeah, I've you know, gone to febrile convulsions, a whole heap. Well, we need to put that in there. You know, I went to a meningococcal, someone might say. Okay, well, hang on, do we have meningococcal in, in our course? I'm always worried about that. that that's, that's a good one because it's funny, like every time my kids got the flu or something, I thought they had meningococcal. Yeah. I'm yeah. serious. And yeah, it always yeah. – and whenever they got sick, it was always at two o'clock in the morning. What the fuck? You know, why why can't it be nine AM or eight AM or some of that or like at least daylight hours? It was always two AM or one thirty AM or midnight, just so I'm sort of half asleep. And then you th- and the first thing you think of is, hang on, is this ninja cockle? And yeah, I had yeah. no idea what it was, other than that it can make kids really sick. I had two friends whose kids died from it. Yep. Um at, at a very young age. And uh inevitably I would just throw them in the car and drive to the bloody hospital and I'd be sitting in the outpatient's department but um, because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. So that's something – what you're saying is what everyone says. They Typical. go, oh, we know, we've heard of it. We've seen it on the news. We know it's really bad. What is we, it? We don't know how to identify What is it and how yeah. do we identify it? And, look, I won't go into it now because it would take – But you. But that's one of the things you look at. That's one of the things we go through. We go through and we, we show – Have they got a rash? Have they got the ears? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Is yeah. that rash a good rash or a bad rash? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, what, how can we identify that and what can we do if we think our child has meningococcal and, and what's the best course of action and all of those, those strategies is something that we give to the parents to empower them, going back yeah. to that word. And if you look at our website, we, I sat down the other day, I'll be about six months ago now, and I thought, you know, how am I going to sum up on this website what we do in three words? I saw it, funny enough, on the back of a bus, a, a business had done it. They used three words to sum up their, their business. They did a really good job. I thought, you know, I'm going to put that on the website. And I thought about it and thought about it for a while. And the three words I came up with was engage, educate, empowerment. Right. Because that's what we do. We engage with people. So we make it engaging. Our, our trainers are charismatic. We make first aid fun, which sounds really weird. And I think a lot of people out there listening to this will go, what the first aid's not fun? You're talking about my child nearly dying. How can it be fun? Come and do one of our courses and everyone leaves with a smile on their face because it's a learning strategy. It's how we make sure you remember. If you're having a good time, you're going to remember that stuff. If you're listening to what you're hearing and you're scared to ever have to do it, then that's no good for us. As paramedics, if you're too scared to actually implement what we're teaching you, then there's a problem. We need to make it fun. You need to feel confident. You need to work, leave that course feeling that, like you can actually do what you've been taught and that's the empowerment. The treatment hasn't changed that much. The condition hasn't changed that much, but we're getting better outcomes. Why? Into it education. Earlier. Education. People are identifying it early and going, oh, that's what that's what I learned at that rescue blue course. I remember that sound, that barking coffee. They showed us that. So they they're going, hey, what, what did they say to do? We need to get this kid checked out. If it's picked up early, it's no drama. Lots of kids have croup, they grow out of it. And, and my grandson had it uh, so when you leave it for six, two weeks ago. You know, or, or seven days or you know, whatnot, that they start to have big issues. Now I, I do need to put a disclaimer there. There is a small percentage of groups that go into severe croup. But the majority of them is slower. Yep. So our number one rule for all of our trainers is everyone in that course needs to leave with all their questions answered. Right. So we'll stay back. And I've had plenty of courses. We get to three hours. Questions are still firing. We're there for three and a half hours. No drama. That's absolutely fine. And you recruit your people that conduct these courses at either people's homes or in other places where there's a public one. 
you're recruiting out of current paramedics, let's say in New South Wales. No, everywhere. So we've now Queensland, grown, Victoria. Yeah, we've now grown. We've so um, where are you now? Implemented licensing agreements. We have um, operations up in Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast. We have all throughout New South Wales. We're doing a course next week down in Victoria, so we're opening that up. Um, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. But to answer your question again, yes, our our trainers, our licensees are all current operational paramedics with a minimum of five years experience. So let's say I'm a five-year experienced paramedic in Gold Coast, for argument's sake. Um, I want to become one of your licensees. Yep. What have I got to do? What do you, what do you so make? We do need you to – Take me through the course. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting <clears throat> question because there's a lot of paramedics out there, fantastic paramedics, but are they the right fit for our business? And we're very – mindful to choose the right people in this business so you can be a great paramedic but if you're not charismatic when you speak if you speak monotone as i was saying before if you're not engaging and entertaining you're not going to be able to bring our course or get the most out of our course and teach the people the way we like to teach people so we we need to find people who meet all of those um criteria i suppose and also have the experience and the knowledge. So what we've been doing is making them do tests, making them, making them ed, ed, go through and, and present Train them us, up. And then train them in, in the – Into your, your techniques, yeah. Yeah, the techniques Your, your teaching doing. techniques. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah so – and it's interesting because to start off with, I was using paramedics that I knew, so that was easy. Yeah, I know that person, you know, Jess up in Queensland. She's a friend of mine, good friend of mine, and we've worked together – we started together. So it was easy to get her up there. But as we're growing and we're starting to get interest in places like Western Australia, places like um, South Australia, and because we work under the ANSCOR guidelines, we want to take this course over to New Zealand because we can. Um, I don't know a whole heap of paramedics over there. So that is one of our challenges to make sure that we do find the right people. Yeah, And, and I guess, I mean, I think it's worth explaining because people are going to say, well, hang on, if he's a – Intensive care paramedic, how the hell is you running the business? I mean, I, th- I think you ought to explain how the rhythm of an ambulance guy or girl actually allows you the capacity to do these things. Mm. Capacity is, is definitely a word that's used a lot in my household. Um, so we work four on, five off. So we do four shifts on, we get five days off. In those four shifts, we're doing a minimum of 48 hours, 12-hour shifts, plus – we do overtime and et cetera, et cetera. Those five days is when, when we started, we started small. It was me walking around, down around Bondi, handing out flyers to pregnant ladies. That's how I started. Hey, do you want to do my first aid course? Nine out of 10 of them went, no, mate, not interested. One out of 10 went, yep, all right, let's do it. As I said, we've grown to have licensing agreements and we're, we're up and down the East Coast and trying to expand. Um, <laughs> it's capacity is hard. What I've learned, and it's actually a question I've got for you as well, is about capacity, is it comes down to having the right people on, on the team for us. Um, you know, competing priorities is, is definitely one of my, my concerns at the moment. Well, you've got a family as well. So, yeah, yeah so I, I had a question for you. Go on, we'll throw um, the question up now. Yeah, so exactly that. I, I work full-time. I've got a full-time job that – is quite hectic at times. As an ambulance officer. As a, as a parent, exactly. 
I run a business and the business is growing. I, we've got a couple of properties and we're looking at doing our first development where, so my wife and I being we, I'm a, I've got a bub at home. I'm busy. I feel like there's not enough hours in the day for me to deal with what I've got. And then I look at someone like you who's my business, nothing compared to your business. Uh, my life is nothing with regards to you know, you're running a much bigger business. You've got a much bigger family. You're doing podcasts. You're on telly. You've got so much going on. How are you dealing with this, this competing priorities? How do you deal with that? <laughs> um, I, I don't uh, – I just – yeah, they are competing priorities. So um, what I prioritise is wherever the most pressure is coming from. Um, like it could be looking out, helping – like I've got four sons and a grandson and like – girlfriends and wives and stuff like that so and then i got a large family as well like dad and every brother sister etc so um and a lot of business so what i do is i i go to the uh where the most noise is coming from to be honest with you i mean i got my standard stuff that I have to do every day um and then i tend to backfill all the time so i, I wherever the demand is the heaviest from i look at it each day and i just say oh, should i better look after that okay. and then if that means I'm ignoring something else, it's funny. Like, like I hadn't spoken to Nick, one of my boys. I hadn't spoken to Nick. You know, lives, lives with me at the moment. <laughs> I hadn't spoken to him for a, at least I don't know five, six days. I've seen him walking, coming in late at night because he works long hours. See him coming coming in late at night and saying hello to the dog. I might say hello like that, but I haven't actually spoken to him. And um, I rang him. So on my way home last night, I had a spare half hour in the car. I rang him. So I, I tend to. In terms of prioritization, um, I'm always backfilling and I deal with the thing that's sort of right in front of me at the time. Other than the things I must do every day, there's some certain things I must do every day, okay. particularly in relation to myself. Um, there's things you have to do for yourself. So I guess my answer to that, Theo, is I'm a backfiller. I'm always backfilling. So when you say there's things that you need to do for yourself, are you talking about exercise? Ex and getting up early in the morning, like this morning I was up at 2, 2.45. I thought, well, I've got to take the dog for a walk. I haven't taken him to walk for a couple of days. I knew that I was doing this this morning. Normally I take – the dog comes into – he's in my office at the moment. He comes to work today with me, Fridays. So that's his day in the office. And uh, I normally take him for a run around Botanical Gardens. Well, I got up 2.45, got up. Um, I, I got a sore neck, so I did a bit of, I've been doing a bit of stretching just to, to lose myself a bit. And, uh, and then I took the dog for a walk at uh, just on 3.15 or something. I took him for a good hour walk. Took some videos of him spooking around the park, <laughs> me and him, just the two of us. It was actually pretty cool. I mean, that's living. Walking around at 3.30 in the morning around where I live, which is not far from you, um, uh, I had the park to myself. I had the whole thing to myself, and it was a still morning, a beautiful morning. That, to me, is ab absolutely critical because that's me getting something out of the day for myself. Yeah, okay. Then I get to the gym, and then uh, I have my breakfast at the same place every day, every day. So routine is critical to me. That way I don't have to think about it. I don't have to waste energy. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, you're gonna, you're, look, you're at a young stage. You're in a startup. So you're going to be really challenged. Um, it's going to be hard to get that work-life balance, that, as everyone talks about. And to be honest, that work-life balance, that phrase is all bullshit. You choose to run a business, two businesses, the one with your wife and yourself, that well, both your wife's in both of them, but you're running the the um, first aid business. That's called first aid for the just sake of the conversation. You're looking at doing a couple little developments. You're also a, an employee in a very responsible job. 
You choose that, right? That's your choice. True. And with that comes responsibilities and levels of service to both your employer or to your customers, your clients. Therefore, that always takes, that's going to always take priority, always takes priority over everything else. But you don't want the other things to suffer. Mm. So what you've got to do is you've got to just, in every 24-hour period, work out, steal a few hours from your sleep period and put it into those things so that they don't suffer. Mm-hmm. That's what, like I did this morning, 245, I don't want my dog to suffer. Yep. It's not fair. I got a dog. I got a responsibility. Uh, I got to ta- look after him. Yeah. Absolutely. So get up 245. Who gives a shit? You know what? One day, one day, God forbid it's not too, too, too close, you will be asleep forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So think about that. So if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got shit to do and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, just get up and do it and actually think, wow, how cool is this? Yeah. Because that's how I look at it. I've got, I got mates who are dead and then I'm 65 this year. i got mates who are dead, cancer, strokes, heart attacks, all sorts of things, accidents. They're sleeping forever. Yeah, sure. And uh, don't be bringing that on. So if you've got, a, uh, you've got something bothering you and you need to fix it, Get up and fix it. Okay. So if I could just go back now, I'm going to summarize this. So your business is about building an understanding of the expectations that you might have from the moment you leave the hospital to all those events that could occur with, in respect of you and your child. Now, that could be something that affects you, postnatal depression. Um, it could be something that your child could do that you may never have expected or you may have heard about mm-hmm. but didn't expect to happen to you. But then you, of course, also um, skills up people such as, as you, you refer to as being muscle memory, but basically you're saying people can go onto automatic. They don't have to go and consult their notes. They, if one of yep. these events that you've told them you could expect to happen, they, they now know how to uh, recognise it. Yep. Oh, shit, that's what I learned at Theo's course. Yep. Um, and – Automatically, I can go. I can do something about it. Correct. Like it's like automatic. It's not not how far I got to think about it. It's automatic. That's the number one rule. Number is that one. We rule. make it automatic for you. Yeah. We don't want you sitting there going, "Oh, hang on, what what did they say?" Yeah. We make sure you've done it ten times. Yeah, yeah. Before you actually have to do it. Oh, by the way, how much does it cost? Do you mind saying? Yeah, absolutely. So we charge ninety three dollars fifty per person. So that's eighty five plus GST, and we don't. Things a bit cheap. It's interesting because, and you know, this is one of, as we grow in the eastern suburbs, yes, I think we could probably charge more, but we're in different areas yeah. as well. And, and you can't and price differently. Coast. Well, yeah, I don't think it can be. There's a thing called geo-targeting, which I'm learning about at the moment with regards to our website, um, where potentially we could charge differently. So if someone gets onto our website in Queensland, it might come up as, $85, but they come into our website in Sydney, it might come up as 100 bucks. Yep. But if they talk, it's a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't know how I feel about it, but it, it's hard because I could easily increase my price here in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that would affect my licensees. And, and right now my business, there's a lot of time and, and, and mental um, energy going towards my licensees because I, I take it as a – Huge responsibility that they've said to me, Theo, yep, I like what you're doing. I'm not going to start from scratch. I'm going to give 
my faith to you that I can do what you're doing up here and and I feel a responsibility to make sure that they're making money. And what are they? They're, they're making money. And do you find the uh, do you does your business or does your website take the inquiries and then feed the inquiries to the licensee, or sure. do you, or is it re- the requirement of the licensee to go out and find their own clients? So both. So both. we do major marketing. So our major marketing. So you do the national marketing campaign. Yeah, cool. Um, so in that case, when inquiries come in through our website, then we'll click them off to depending which. Which yep. licensee it is, and then they'll take it from there. They do their local marketing because they know their area. Yep. They and some of the best marketing we have is collaborations, collaborating with businesses that have the same target market that aren't direct competitors. So, for example, a yoga studio that's teaching neonatal yoga, or their or their clients are pregnant ladies. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Mm. So we can bring something to to their clients. And to that business as well, that business is going to say, yeah, yeah, I, I want to get behind paediatric first aid, teach my clients how to save their own child's life. It's an easy sell. And then from there, word of mouth and, and whatnot starts. People and, 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 and you, you take a license fee for, uh, per customer from your uh, licensees or? We do a monthly fee. Monthly fee. A monthly yeah, fee. Yeah, you see, you, no matter how much they take, there's a monthly fee. Yeah, and the reason I went, because this was a hard question that I, from a business side, I don't know if I've done the right thing. I did a monthly fee to keep my licensees honest. The ones that we started off with, we know them. I know they'll always be honest. But as I said, we're going, we're going to expand and we're going to take on people that I don't have a personal relationship with. And there's always going to be a temptation if it's based per customer to not show yeah, how no, much you're actually yeah. doing. So yeah, they hide some customers. Hide customers. And why wouldn't they, I suppose, if, if they're that way inclined, if they, they've got those ethics. Um, so for us, we just kind of went, you know what, we'll make it a monthly fee and that will increase as the business grows to make sure that, that they, they are making money. Because the, for them, for us to have a good business. Do we issue a certificate though? So if they're doing accredited courses, yes. If they're doing the non-accredited courses, then no certificate. But the non-accredited courses are, are lead up to our accredited course anyway. No, I was just thinking what one way you could do it if you pushed everything, all the fees, all paying, all fees get paid through your website. Yeah, and um, and all certificates get issued by you. That's one way of sort of keeping your licensees a little bit more honest. Because uh, yeah, I like it. Um, that might be a way of thinking about it. Um, that's certainly how most franchises work. Um, you. you um, you basically run your product through the head office and you do your invoicing from the head office and then you issue any paperwork to the client from the head office. So the client doesn't get anything from from the franchisee or, or the licensee in your case. Okay. I mean, that's worth thinking about. That way you get it, then, then you can get a percentage of every deal and you and you pretty much can have an audit trail. Um, but look, look, Monthly fees work anyway for the time being. You can always review these things over time, I, I think. And, you know, if you get something better and, you know, like if, if it continues to go, right now your whole focus should be on growth. Yep. So how many regions are you in now? So right now we're in Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, all throughout Sydney, um, from Wollongong down to Batemans Bay, out to Mittagong and, and Barrel and those areas. But we so they're, they're our licenses and we're about to take on our next licensee in the Central Coast. We still service everywhere. So as I said earlier, we've got courses down in Melbourne uh, next week. Not for licenses, courses for uh, yeah. parents. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what I've been doing is 
what I found with our licensees is that because they're paramedics, they're not business people and, and they're, it's a big thing for them to yeah, become a, this. And to become a business person. And to become a business person. Yeah. Um, so I found a lot of them were hesitant and we had a couple that said, yeah, 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 and then they, they pulled out last minute because they went, well, yeah, you're in Sydney, Theo, you're doing really well, but I'm in rural New South Wales. How do I know that I'm going to do really well? So what I did was I've decided to go and build the area first and then find the, the licensee. So I can say to them, hey, over the last six months, here's how many courses I've done. It's a bit yeah, hard you do a, You're sort of like doing a case them. study. You're doing a beta test yeah, and in the area. We want you to take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no bad idea. I mean, it's no bad idea. The big issue you always have is it, like it happens in mortgage business, my franchise business, mortgage lending. We get guys from banks, great bankers. They know how to, they, you go to the bank and they know how to do a mortgage for you. But as soon as you say, well, now you're running a Yellow Brick Road office, they're running a business of mortgages. It's a big difference. Um, and they can, can get a bit scared, a bit nervous about that. And from our point of view, we, we put them through pretty intensive training and we, we, uh, we smother them with support, like lots of support. Yeah. And, and for a long period of time. And like it usually takes about a year yep. for them to get comfortable. To run the business. Yeah, it's interesting. So, it usually takes a year. So we find that they don't become profitable until between 12 and 18 months. Yeah, yeah. How interesting. Yeah, because it's, it's all about them having the confidence to run the business. Yeah. It's a confidence thing. And, and the bankers, these guys are in the mid-40s. Great bankers, been banking for 25, 30 years. Can do a mortgage, no problem. Ask and run a, run a business. For some reason, I think it's totally different. You know what? This is – Exact same thing we're finding in, in our business is that we've got these great paramedics, but they've got no idea how to, how to run a business. And that being said- So that's your job. Your job is to teach them how to run a business, yeah. not just teach them how to, how to follow your manual. That's right. Not to make sure that they're good, can, uh, friendly, caring people who fit your sort of profile that you like to have in relation to the interaction with your consumers, your customer, but also you've got to teach them how to run a business. That's right. Yeah, and on. give them the confidence. Yep. Because in their day-to-day job, they don't need no. to have a clue. And it's something, this isn't my first business, Mark. It's my third business. The other two, I'll put my hand up and say they went pretty pear-shaped. Uh, but well, we that's, that's a good experience. Yeah, we, and that, well, I agree. I think it's Win a learn. experience. Our first one, we were importing uh, fixtures and fittings for, for a construction company. Thought it was going pretty well, and then they stopped paying. <laughs> and we, at the time, I can laugh about it now, but at the time, I wasn't laughing because our business fell over because people just didn't pay us. Our second one, and when I say our, it's always me and my wife, um, my wife and I. Our second one was a drinks business where we built up from scratch and ended up getting it into most states in Australia and, and into some of the, the big suppliers, yeah, um, Harris Farms and About Life and all that. What we learned from that one was our ethics didn't really align with, with the, our business partners at the time, which is fine. No drama. It's nothing. And if anyone's listening to this, it's nothing against them. It's just that we we weren't a good match, but it was an equal. In different values, yeah. We've learned so much from that, from running these businesses. Which your franchises or licensees haven't had the experience Spot of. Spot on. And you took the words out of my mouth. And you've got, to, you've got to keep talking to them. You've got to get them in groups. Like our business, we're getting everyone in the Hunter Valley. You know, we do this every year. Yeah. For 13 years. <laughs> and it's never going to stop. They're always going to keep coming back to you. Always. Um, which is great. That's, that's fun. That's living in it, by the way. And you know what? You, you – Again, took the word out of my mouth. It's fun. I find that in all the businesses that I've done, the fun part is the startup. 
for me. I, I'm really, I enjoy that part of it. So, and that's why we decided to go down this licensing side of things because we get to start businesses one after another in different areas and we get to help people who help other people. And all in all, so far, it's going relatively well. I think what you are doing is if there was more awareness around it, and then we need to have more awareness around health in this country, but if there's more aware, and we, and we shouldn't take it for granted, if there was more awareness about it, for my money, every hospital should be telling, giving people a pamphlet as, as they walk out of the hospital with their baby. That's what I reckon for this sort of stuff. It'll take, reduce the burden on the health system. I know right now that ambulances are overworked and the system is just cracking at the seams because there's just too many people to go and look at, look at. too many calls, too many inquiries yep. and, and, you know, not enough money being spent to get more ambulance, ambulance personnel and more ambulance trucks and bigger yep. systems and better more systems equipped. And whilst that's getting addressed, we need as many people as possible to be able to make a start on the person that's got the problem, particularly when it comes to children. Sure. And these courses actually do that. This is part of the um, ecosystem that fixes our health system at the moment, which I think from an ambulance point of view is, is a problem. We yep. don't have enough. It's a big issue. You guys have worked too hard. Yep. As an ambulance officer, you have worked way too hard. I don't want someone coming to me if I need an ambulance who's – Completely fucked, is exhausted yep. from yep. their 48-hour shift. Uh, I don't want that. I want to know that you come to me happy, well, um, clear of mind, as fast as you possibly can, and, uh, and, and, and then uh, whilst, after you see me, you can get to the next person as well who can, and nobody misses out. Look, I think you're right. I think every paramedic in Australia would probably agree with what you're saying there, that we are worked too hard and it is a job that's very – unique to certain type of people uh, where we work really hard because it comes down to our patients and we, we know that we want to provide the best care for our patients and if no one else is there because, as you said, we might be understaffed, then we need to. We need to step up and, and get to those patients and help them out and every paramedic does the job for that. They don't do it for the money. They don't do it for glory. It's actually shunned to, to even think that in, in any ambulance service in Australia. It's all about our patients and making sure that we get the best care to those patients in, in a timely manner. Uh, just going back to what we were saying about the business, I think one last point that I want to make is today we've talked about Rescue Blue and I've told you about me and what I do. I, I also want to make the point that there are other businesses out there that do teach paediatric first aid and they are fantastic. Of course, naturally, I'd want people to come and do our course, but if you don't come to Rescue Blue, that's fine. Make sure you get taught by anyone that is operational in, in their role. Just make sure that they are nurses that are still teaching. And there's some fantastic companies out there that have a really big reach as well. And I think it's important that everyone gets trained. Don't get caught up on the company. Just do the course. Well, you're on my podcast. As far as I'm concerned, go to rescue. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Thanks for sticking around after the podcast. And guess what? I've got a Facebook group for The Mentor. I reckon you should join it. It's a great place for you to share your experiences with like-minded people in small business. Let's build a community. And if you've got any questions, insights, talk about it. Whatever. 
Just type in The Mentor with Mark Boris and request to join. And while I've got you, please let us know what you think of The Mentor, the podcast, in an iTunes podcast review. So talk to you soon. See ya.